Yes, yes, y'all, how's it going, everybody? We are back once again, like the renegade masters that we are. Power to the people. Hello. Hello. Don't know why I said that. How's things? Yeah, mate, I'm sound. I'm sound. Um, just been soaking my being in hardcore wrestling and blood and violence. Oh, yeah. It's good for the soul. It is. It makes me feel dirty sometimes, but I kind of like it. It does, when, especially when you, I mean, we'll get into these matches, but especially when you watch a match which is just essentially two men cutting themselves. And bleeding everywhere. Yeah, not not doing much wrestling, but just cutting. Did you actually, like, I, you know, gave you a bit of homework, one or two matches. Did you actually watch the, the match we're going to discuss? Did you watch that on the tram? Oh, uh, no, I couldn't in the end. I kind of wanted to. I was going to watch it. So Nick sent me this incredibly violent match to watch. Well-known match. That you, we're going to you, talk about a little bit later You'll probably know on. it. But, yeah. Uh, and uh, I was going to watch it on my on the tram home from work, but as much as I would have, you know, liked to have sat there watching this incredibly bloody violent wrestling match in front of a load of other public, the p- members of the public, uh, I actually had to stand up because the tram was too busy, oh. and uh, that would have been definite eyes on what the fuck <laughs> standing up in the tram watching. Um... <clears throat> what the fuck is this guy watching? You know, yeah. headphones off. Speakers on full blast. <laughs> Speaker on full. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you would have been judged there a bit, but um, yeah, you, 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 you can't really admit to everybody that we enjoy the kind of wrestling that we do, I, don't, I suppose, can we? No, I suppose People would think less of us. Yeah, I suppose that's the joys of being a uh, wrestling nerd, is that these sort of things you share with other wrestling nerds, and they all understand. But not, not, not really, though, because what we're going to be talking about is a very particular type of entertainment, isn't it? Not every wrestling fan likes the type of things we've been discussing. No, but I think most understand it. Even if you say... Well, we're, we're going to get into the kind of stuff yeah. we're going to get into. Like, the violence is ramping up here. It, it, really, it really is. Yeah, it is. So Some people hate this shit. If you, uh, I, I have a respect <clears throat> for all forms of wrestling. Even the shit stuff I find entertaining. Yeah, so if you are listening to the first time, for the first time to this podcast, uh, me and Nick have been doing a series called Horrible History. Um, where we've been going through sort of decade by decade, having a historic look at the history of hardcore wrestling. Mm-hmm. And uh, we mm-hmm. started all the way in our first episode in 1908. Mm-hmm. Uh, we took that over a few decades up to 1938. After then, we had a look at the 40s and sort of 50s. Mm-hmm. Then we had a look at the 60s, 70s. Last time we did 80s. And now we're really into the hardcore stuff because we're onto the 90s, which is where hardcore wrestling had its boom. It is, it is. But before we actually get into the 90s, I actually want to talk about something that you mentioned and discussed ever so slightly on the 60s, 70s episode that I took the lead on, uh, which you never brought up in the 80s, when, which was you took the lead on most recently. You said that um, you believe that the term hardcore in relating to wrestling came about in the 80s, but you never discussed that whatsoever. Okay, yeah, so I believe... Or it never came up during your research, it, I presume. It never came... Well, I, to be, if I'm going to be honest and open, which I believe we should be right. on this podcast, is I forgot. Uh, <laughs> right. But, uh, so yeah, so I forgot to research whether uh, when exactly the term hardcore came about, and I'm pretty certain it was the 80s mm-hmm. okay. that the first time 
a promotion, which I'm not entirely sure which promotion was, said this is a hardcore match. Uh, are you basing that on, is this off something that you've read that you can't quite remember? Or are you basing this on like, because I was thinking about the etymology of the actual word, where it comes from. Yes. Yeah, so do, you know do you know where the word comes from originally? No. Do you want me to tell you? Go on. Okay, so it is a jargon of the British building trade from the 19th century. And you must know what hardcore is. You've been to a tip before. Have you ever been to a tip before? Yes, I've been to a tip before. Yeah, so they're all recycling centre, if you like. Yeah. Or a dump. Yeah. Rubbish, garbage dump fucking... Whatever. I know what a fucking... Everyone knows what a tip is. No, not the Americans don't, dickhead. Yeah. So I'm trying to put it in context. If I say a tip, they ain't got a fucking clue. A dump. Garbage yeah, place. Yeah, recycling though. It's all in different sections, isn't it? Yeah. You have wood, steel, general rubbish, appliances. Yeah. And then you have rubble and hardcore. Ah. It's one of the sections at the tip. Rubble and hardcore. So basically it is broken bits of rock and masonry and... Stone, yeah. So that is that is where hardcore comes comes from, uh, very very originally. So to think that hardcore wrestling could be called rubble wrestling, Barney Rubble wrestling, Barney Rubble wrestling. Yeah, man. But uh, obviously the word took on <coughs> more um, other connotations later on. Yeah. Um. So it's used as an adjective. Uh, excuse me, used as a noun, meaning uh, very active and enthusiastic. So you could say he's hardcore into that. Yeah. So active and enthusiastic mm-hmm. are connotations of hardcore when used as a noun. Uh, it was then in the media first used to describe films in the fifties. Mm-hmm. So violent films in the fifties were called hard. Would have been called hardcore by critics. Yeah. And then in the night in the in the early eighties, when you, th- you think of music, obviously. Yep. The hardcore punk scene, yep. obviously. Obviously an offshoot of the kind of British punk scene, yeah. which was obviously louder, faster, and more aggressive yeah. than the music that preceded it. The first record I could find of hardcore being used or written down in a wrestling sense was actually for ECW's television show, which was called... <laughs> which was called Hardcore. EC, well, it was called Hardcore TV, wasn't it? Hardcore TV, yeah. Yeah, so that's the first reference I can find to it actually being I in... think. Wrestling. I think where I read or listened to it was in an interview where someone said they were talking about All In in the 1930s. Again, to throw throw you back, there's a promotion in the 1930s in London called All In. Uh, Nothing to do with AEW, obviously. Yeah, it's not the the Young Bucks standalone show. And this was like, if you listen to that episode that we did, which is in the very first episode, the 1908 to 1938, we talk about this promotion in London called All In. And I was watching an interview with a guy that was talking about that promotion, and he said this was sort of hardcore before hardcore was even a thing. Hardcore wasn't termed, wasn't even coined as a term until the 80s. All right, I'll let you off then. You didn't didn't just completely fucking make it up, because that's what I thought you did. No. Right. Why would I just make up facts? To sound Billy Big Bollocks. Well, no, because this goes out onto the internet and people just correct you. Even when you're right, people correct you. Never mind when you're wrong. <laughs> you make shit up. Just thought you wanted to be big and clever. No, no, I did. I did, I did there was some thought behind it. Don't right. Well, we're we're going to move on. We're going to move on. I'm not going to stick on ECW. We will be getting back into ECW because obviously we're talking about the 90s. So we most certainly will be talking about ECW. But for now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move over to the East and we're going to talk about Japan again. Excellent. I love Japanese wrestling. You do love Japanese wrestling, do you? Do you? I, I really you see need to people spend... landing on their heads. It's what I want to see. Uh, well, this isn't 
it is kind of strong style, but obviously this is this is kind of the birth of death match that I'm talking about now. So have you heard of um, Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling or FMW? Yes, I have. Right, yo. Do you know anything about it, really? I know very little, really. I just know what it is, and I've watched a couple of matches. Right, yo. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, so started off by a guy called uh, Atushi Onita, who basically is an absolute legend in, uh, in Japanese professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. He started the company off. Um, he he started wrestling long time ago. He, he originally started wrestling in the wrestling in the nineteen uh, seventies. He was one of the first graduates of the All Japan Pro Wrestling Dojo. Uh, I think he actually started training in seventy three and debuted in nineteen seventy four. And he was kind of like a junior heavy, like the, that junior heavyweight kind of style. So yeah. quite quick on your feet, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of jumping, uh, aerial moves. Um, but obviously, you know, no 450 splashes. We're talking the 70s here. Yeah, 70s. Jump, jumping off the top rope. And, 70s high flyers. Yeah, but he was he was fast and he was quick and he was nimble, mm-hmm. basically. And he, he wrestled all the way through the 70s, basically, as an undercarder without getting too much fanfare, but he was cutting his teeth and he was learning the business, uh, basically. He, um, in the early 80s, uh, he moved away from um, all Japan and from working in, in Japan to uh, quite an influential territory, Puerto Rico. Ah, yes. Last last episode, we talked about Puerto Rico. Yes, the crazy island. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, you start getting some work out in Puerto Rico, and um, obviously they work that kind of hardcore style, but um, obviously, as we discussed in the last episode, the model of the Puerto Rican wrestling style, I suppose, or the World Wrestling Council, Capital Sports, the whole uh, Cologne family, they always hinged it on foreigners, didn't they? Yeah. So it was always basically the foreigner. So would... the invasion angle is what they went for. Yeah, basically. And then it was always a Puerto Rican who overcame the evil foreigner. Yeah. Basically. Um, he was supposed to lose two straight falls uh, in a match whilst he was out in Puerto Rico. But for whatever reason, he just refused to do it. He's a bit of an he's a bit of an antagonist, only to, like he's a bit of... Um, he likes to stir shit up. Yeah. Likes to stir shit up. So for whatever reason, he uh, he leg- legitimately just flat out refused. Um, no, I'm not losing two straight falls. It was a two out of three falls match. And the idea was, was you lose both falls and just look like a mug, yeah. basically. He was like, Did he refuse this in the ring or beforehand? Um, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. But the match went ahead with him refusing to do it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So... Basically, he... Um, so they didn't even come to an agreement before no, he went out there? No, not at all. Wow. No, no. But he still went out there. Um, because of this, he basically got his ass kicked oh, really? by a big gang of Puerto Rican wrestlers um, for 40 straight minutes. Jesus. Uh, apparently. And uh, got put, put in hospital. Wow. You don't want to take the pin, we'll make you take the pin. Basically, yeah. Um, so while he was healing up, um, I'm not too sure how he became friends with him, but um, he became friends with Terry Funk. He was a massive Terry Funk fan yeah. from, from day one, basically. And he actually ended up moving from Puerto Rico uh, to Texas and actually ended up staying with uh, Terry on the Double Cross Ranch whilst he was healing up, Yeah, basically. And after he healed up, he started getting work in the States throughout 1981. He started working in Memphis. So as we discussed, the empty arena match. Yeah. Remember from our last episode of the 80s, Terry Funk versus Jerry Lawler? That's Memphis. 
Memphis very known for the brawling style, a lot of yeah. a, lot, a lot of brawling in the stands, a lot of fighting, a lot of commotion. He learned that style uh, over there, basically whilst um, whilst wrestling in Memphis. So he you know kind of cut his teeth. He already had this sort of high flyerish kind of style. He was a good worker, when he learned how to brawl basically in the states uh, in the eighties. He even wrestled actually Ric Flair. Really? In 1981 uh, in, in the Carolinas. So we got about. Yeah, so this guy's this guy's knocking about. Yeah, and um, so basically he went back to Japan after that, obviously, after he was healed up, after he'd kind of cut his teeth learning the violent brawling style, which, you know, Memphis was, was, was very well known for. Uh, and he started getting, you know, a, a push as a high flyer in like 82. Um, but when wrestling Chavo Guerrero Sr., <laughs> Um, he was like, you know, sometimes you see um, high flyers, they do that uh, ring entrance where they kind of grab onto the top rope and then flip over it and land on the feet. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like quite a well-known way for a high flyer to enter the ring. Yeah. You know, like Ricochet does it and whatnot these days. Uh, but he actually slipped on some water uh... whilst doing that and blew his knee out. All oh, right, okay, not as bad as us. What, what were you expecting? I was expecting that because he slipped and go over there, he's right straight on his fucking head. And he died, and then that's the end of the story. No, but you know what I mean, like. <laughs> but no, no, he, but well, he blew his knee out, so that was pretty fucking bad. Yeah, that's he great. blew his knee out, and he had his first retirement in 1985. This man has got retirements on a par with fucking Terry Funk, though. Oh, really? To be perfectly honest. Yeah, Terry Funk. How many times did we find out Terry Funk retired? Did you Did you look that up? Yeah. Uh, not the exact number, because I was reading his um, book, and he, you say reading, you mean listening to? Well, listening to his book, whatever. Uh, so I was listening to his book, and like, um, it, I mean, Terry Funk's first retirement was in the 70s. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's, it's hard to keep up. And some of them, it's hard to keep up. What is actually hard to keep up with, with these guys, is sometimes the retirements were a work. Yeah. Which, reti- yeah. which, reti- yeah. which retirements often are. So it's just like, when are you legitimately, reti- legitimately retiring, and when are you just working it for a comeback? But that... It very much is the boy who cried wolf, though, isn't it? Yeah. Like, cause... when you actually do want to retire, no one gives a fuck. Yeah, exactly. I think it's playing with... Well, it uh... is playing with people's emotions, really, isn't it? Because if, if you are a beloved performer... Yeah, it's playing with people's emotions, but you're also playing with your own sort of, um, not only integrity, but sort of your own legacy, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, when you eventually do retire, you want people to give a shit. Yeah. You don't. What you don't want is to do a Ric Flair where you retire and then not retire, retire, have everyone care, then end up not retiring and going and wrestling for another company and just yeah, sort like, of getting to the point where you literally you are can't, can't, not, can't, can no longer wrestle. That's what yeah, you don't want to get to. Yeah, but Ric Flair likes money. Yeah, he does. And he likes the limelight. Yeah. Uh, but Oni's a very much... Very much kind of does that. Um, is he actually retired now? Let me check. Or did he retire in 2017? Do you know what you should check out, everybody? Um, I mean, you should check it out just for the sheer um, interest of it and how crazy it is, but it's nothing to write home about. Is the uh, Ric Flair versus Mick Foley hardcore match that they did in TNA? That uh, That's on... Um, 
it's something that I've been meaning to watch for years. It's actually on YouTube now, uh, but I've been watching all this shit leading up to this. I've been watching the current product, so I need to set some time aside to actually watch that. I believe that's actually been released by Impact on Impact's YouTube channel now. Yeah, it's that's not something you want to watch if you're, if you're sensitive, should I say. Yeah. That is two old geezers doing things they shouldn't be doing. <laughs> and it's quite, in a lot of ways, it's quite sad. Yeah, because uh, of the platform that it's on, because the fact that there's fucking hardly anyone there. Really? Yeah. Um, and, just, and the two fucking legends. And the two absolute legends just doing crazy shit, clearly, mostly for, if not money, but if relevance, maybe. Yeah. yeah wanting, wanting to stay relevant in a time that is, to be honest, quite beyond them. Well, is well, is it is, is it is it is it worth watching this match though? Is the match? Oh right? yeah, it's worth. What there's some crazy high spots, and uh, you know, so is the, the match is good. Yeah, and it, well, it's, uh, it's it's hard it's hard to say because there's some high spots and there's some ooh ah moments, but what for me what took away from those moments is the but it's they Rick, can't work anymore basically. It's, yeah, it's Ric Flair, Mick Foley. What the like, fuck are you doing? Like you know, this is, is it. The, is it that they can't work anymore? Because even Mick Foley, even though people say you know he's a he's a glorified stop, he's my favorite wrestler of all time. I'll just mm. say right now, I fucking love the guy, and he can work. And he could work tremendously. Um, no, still but could he work? Could he work? Could he work here though? Is what I'm saying. Or was he? They could was, he, was, was his body just falling apart? No, they was could, his knees fucked and his back fucked and they could couldn't to, move around. They could. They could to an extent, mm. um, because all the like big moves are there. Like uh, Foley does an elbow drop while tr- uh, flares in the Tree of Woe, which is a classic Foley move. Mm-hmm. And like all those, you know, the bigger like classic, like you know, like the 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 the, the DDTs and the the uh, the figure fours and stuff like that. But it's the back and forth is just very sloppy. You know, like the in the in between bits. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Like so in wrestling, you've got sort of a lot of big moments and then subtle nuances in between that get you from big moment to big moment. Yeah. In my opinion, as a obviously non-wrestling professional, it's this new those nuances in between that are very, very sort of just uh, just sloppy. There's, they've not it, got the oomph. If not even yeah, not even not got the oomph, but like barely even there. You know yeah. what I mean? Like um and it's not it's not been recently that I've watched the matches, it's been years since I've seen the match, but from what what I remember, that is my sort of takeaway of it. Like the big moves were there. The high spots were there. There's some crazy hardcore moments. Flair obviously bleeds like hell. Um, <clears throat> One of the things he's good at. But it is an interesting... Among many things. It is an interesting watch if you're a hardcore wrestling fan. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I will... I'll try, I'll try and watch it tonight, actually. Switch your hardcore wrestling fan mode on. Turn your Mick Foley fan off. Really? It's just like, if you like blood, you'll like it? Yeah. If you like blood, <laughs> you like, if you like watching people hurt themselves, you'll enjoy it. Okay. Okay. Well, just so you know, uh, Onita um, had his last match in 2018. He had a retirement tour. He went over Asia. He came to America, worked for CZW a bit. Uh, the last recorded match on Wikipedia uh, is in 2018. Uh, Onita fought against uh, Bulldozer Matremont against American hardcore legends Masada and CZW owner DJ Hyde. In 2018, he'd been, he had wrestled for 43 years. And he's wrestling in CZW. Yeah, well, he's a hardcore legend, obviously, Onita, so... CZW do not give a shit, do they? Well, obviously, when we get past the 90s, we'll be getting into CZW. Yeah, how old was he at this point? Uh, so would he have been? In yeah, I think he's sixty. Not to just, skip so far past the nineties. Well, no, 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 no. So he is sixty-two now. 
So, yeah, it would have been 61 or 60. Fucking hell. Yeah. Don't forget the Sheik was fucking wrestling in Japan in the 90s at 68 years old in fire matches with Sabu. Yeah, well, that's a good, very good point, yeah. Yeah, well, I'll be, you know, I might, I might not get into that particular match. Uh, I can't remember if I made note of it, but moving swiftly on. So, like I said, he originally had his first retirement uh, in 1985. He, he stayed out of the limelight for a little bit. There's not really too much information about what he did uh, for the next three and a half years. But he was getting tired of being out of the limelight. And in 1988, going into 89, he decided that he wanted to make some waves in the wrestling business mm-hmm. so we've watched a bit of uwfi bushido on um yep that we watched it on uh, amazon prime there's a lot on youtube as well but the, the uwf uh universal wrestling federation was that obviously it's the uh the japanese shoot style martial arts style um promotion where basically it's kind of like martial arts fighters working mm-hmm. against each other basically and um he went into business for himself Turned up at a uh, UWF show without a ticket and basically took the press with him and said, let me in. I want to fight all your fighters. So he's kind of going into business for himself. He's causing a bit of a furor and a bit of a stink because he's trying to make a name for himself. He's kind of fucking like flash mobbing him. Is he anyone at this point? Is he? He's not a name as such. No, people know who he is because of his... He's been wrestling for... Since the early 70s, since 1974. Yeah. So he had a bit of a name um, because people knew that he was a wrestler, but he wasn't a famous public figure at this point. No, no this is him trying to make himself. So he's got himself some friends in the press then? Well, he's just well, he's just turned up, basically, with a camera crew. Yeah. Yeah. Turned up with his buddies. Yeah. Get me noticed. Yeah. That's some, you know, for the for the late 80s, that's some very... Uh, Out there shit. Social media-esque of 2019 way oh, of going... He always wanted to... I mean, granted, granted he's, a, he's a wrestler and became famous and a legend in Japan for being a, a wrestler, but he always wanted to be a celebrity. Yeah. Always wanted to be really in the limelight. Always. Yeah, that's some, that's some very, uh, you know... Instagrammer level of uh, trying to get yourself some clout, but this is in this is in 1988, mate. Yeah, 1988. The guy, guy, guy was way ahead of his time. So basically, he was wanting to say how legit he was by fighting in inverted commas, or maybe not in inverted commas, legit fighters. So he 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 started up uh, a um, I suppose it'd be the very start of FMW. Um, there was a, a legitimate karate and kickboxing league out of Japan called the WKA, the World Karate Association, who had legitimate kickboxing fights. Yeah. They were, they were, they were a, a fight promotion. And um, he wanted to go into uh, a legitimate fight with one of the uh, karate fighters. Yeah. Basically. Once again, this is all very pro wrestling. We're not sure what, what's real and what's not real. Mm-hmm. But it was... Seemingly made to look like he legitimately wanted to fight a karate fighter. They promoted it as wrestler versus kickboxer in a kickboxing match. That's how they promoted it. And it wasn't promoted on a wrestling show. It was promoted as part of a World Karate Association fight card. Okay. 
This is very... But once again, you're not sure what's what because it's fucking pro wrestling. Are we not sure now because we have this pro wrestling sort of uh, looking glass that we use? Mm-hmm. Or were people not sure then? That's my big. Well, that's what my bigger question would be. At the time, would people have just bought this in to be a definite one hundred percent? This is going to be real fight, and that might have been the case, and that was true. But now, knowing what we know about who he is and what we always presume when we look at wrestling these days, are we just looking at that as a bit more through, cynical? Yeah, cynical through the eyes of wrestling fans who go like, "Well, that's a fucking work." If I've maybe, seen but the thing is, he had he had. Um, a trio of fights with this one guy. Yeah. It's widely believed that the first one was a genuine fight. Well, I say widely. The, for the research that I've done and the, the, the stuff I've heard and listened to, it is believed that the first one was a real fight. I'm not sure. Personally, I don't believe that to be the case. These people who were, who were talking, they're not talking in Japanese. Like, these are people who have heard from other people who have decided for themselves. It's not first. They're not first-hand accounts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to get first-hand accounts from stuff in fucking Japan because they don't speak Japanese. <laughs> yeah, you know, fair enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can't. I can't get first-hand accounts in Japanese. Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, but basically, he had a he had a fight in the World Karate Association with uh, a karateka. That's a karate fighter. Mm-hmm. To me and you, uh, called uh, Masashi uh, Oyagi. And like I said, it was apparently legitimate, but the thing that makes me believe that it wasn't necessarily on the level is because he got disqualified for using professional wrestling moves. What? So it's a kickboxing fight. Right. Slow slow down, slow down, slow down. Re- just rewind for a second, re-explain yourself so it's, so it's, slowly because I'm confused now. So it's a, it's a kickboxing fight, yeah? Yeah. Uh, Onita is dressed in his wrestling singlet, mm-hmm. for one. Yeah. Yeah. The other the other guy um is wearing a karate gi. I like a guy that stands out. Yeah. The other guy is wearing o- Oyagi is wearing a karate gi. Yeah. And uh, there is footage of the fight online. You can watch it on YouTube. I've watched it. Um basically, um uh, the way they worked it, if it was worked and if it wasn't genuine, was Oneita takes a, a a battering, basically. Takes a takes a, a kicking you can see like the the shots that he's hitting him with aren't necessarily pulled if they're pulled they're only pulled a bit but he's getting kicked very hard a lot and uh, he gets bust open around the ears and and all this kind of stuff but the fight ends in a disqualification because Onita uses professional wrestling moves the fuck does he do like pile drive him uh, I think I think he body slammed him okay so he got disqualified. Or it might have been a Thunderfire power bomb. That's his. That's his. That's his move. That's his yeah. special move. Is the Thunderfire power bomb? What does this Thunderfire power bomb look it's like? It's just a power bomb. Just a power bomb. Uh, it's well, it's a power bomb. But you you follow it down into a pin. Yeah, I mean you can't. You you have to be a strong strong bloke to power bomb someone in a shoot against their will. Yeah, against their will. He's yeah. a big lad, Oyagi, as well. Yeah, yeah. Big, he's a, a two, 250 easily. So, I'm assuming... The, I mean, the power slam, you can kind of see because you can imagine it being sort of half, you know, cocked and it's like yeah. he slams him down kind of and it's not really a kickboxer move. It's a wrestling move. Um, but a, a power bomb, even though... I sure, really should have double-checked that. I can't we, remember. But his, his move I mean, is Thunderfire power bomb. Yeah. We, we, we've added that into this narrative that it was a power bomb. And it is... <laughs> <laughs> Once again... Yeah. Uh, I took. I, I heard the account of somebody yeah. who was not an authority, and I'm most certainly yeah, definitely true. not an authority myself. I mean, I read that it was a swinging DDT. That <laughs> <he> did. <laughs> did you read that in Japanese? Yeah, yeah, I did into a horikarana. Yeah, 
Uh, but anyway, this uh, legitimate fight ended in disqualification. Oh, wow. Yeah, so for using professional wrestling moves. For using professional wrestling moves, yeah. Uh, but, you know, he was he was trying to fight back. He was he was, he was headbutting him, which probably added towards the... Um, you can't headbutt and kickbox, kickboxing. You cannot can headbutt and kickboxing. <laughs> no, no, I was going to say. It's uh, right there in the name, kick and boxing. Yep. You can't yep. even can you you can't headbutt in MMA either, can you? No, the only uh, sport which you can headbutt in is Lethway. 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 That's Burmese boxing. You could headbutt in Bethway, Burmese boxing. Lethway. You can. You're allowed to headbutt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Watch uh, Dave LaDuke on the Joe Rogan podcast. It came out a couple of days ago. He's he's Canadian, but he's a Burmese boxing golden belt champion. Yeah. And the, uh, oh, we should get in. Watch some Lethway with me, mate. Lethway. It's it's like Muay Thai. Similar to Muay Thai, but you don't have gloves. You just wear thin hand wraps. Mm-hmm. So no gloves. And uh, you're allowed to headbutt. Traditional left way, there is only one way to win, and that is by knockout. That's the only way you can win. That there's, there's, right no, right. there's no scoring system. I've been watching more BKFC recently. Right, yeah. yeah that's, that sounds right up my street. But this is the, the only way, in traditional left way, the only way you can win is by knockout. If there's no knockout, it's considered a draw. Okay. <laughs> they just yeah. fight forever. The craziest... Well, this fight is five rounds, I think. The craziest thing in Lethway is, in traditional Lethway, which they don't do with... Because the, the Lethway, you can watch on uh, UFC Fight Pass now. They're trying yeah. to make it a little... They still headbutt, but they're trying to make it a little bit more... Safe. Safer. So it's a bit more palatable. But the craziest thing is, you're actually, in traditional Lethway, once somebody gets knocked out, sparked out cold, mm-hmm. they have two minutes to revive their fighter who goes out and gets given a second chance after being knocked out. <laughs> so after being Fucking flatlined, KO'd, yeah. you have two minutes, and apparently they, they put ice water in the face, bite them on the ear. Bite them on the ear. To try and wake them up. Jesus. And then you actually have the opportunity to go out and try and fight again after being knocked <laughs> out cold. That is not good for the brain. <laughs> what? What's the fucking life? I shouldn't laugh. What's, what's the, the likelihood of them winning that fight? Yeah. What's the What's the life expectancy of fucking someone who fights left way? Uh, like I don't know. Fairly low. Life, Thirty years old. Life is cheap in Burma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Anyway, um, moving swiftly on from uh, Burmese boxing. Um, so yeah, like I said, that fight uh, ended. Legitimately or not, you're smiling. You like that one, do you? <laughs> it's just fucking crazy. They should bring yeah. that. They should bring that step into a wrestling match. I'd like that. After you're knocked out, you get a chance to. Uh, but this is real, real fighting. Fucking lunatics. Anyway, move on. Moving swiftly on. Ignore my smile. Uh, <laughs> that so did tickle me because after um, after the DQ, there's a big mass brawl in the middle of the ring between um, Oneita's crew and all the WKA fighters. Yeah. And uh, like, so it's a big mass brawl. Um, so you know, it becomes like a bit of a media thing. It's reported in the uh, reported in the news and whatnot. But from here on out, um, he wants to have a, another fight against Oyagi, another another go. So he uh, he promotes two shows. First shows under the Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling banner. Um, so this is the the first shows that are his. This is him doing it as his company. They're not getting into the deathmatch stuff just yet. They're doing these kind of martial arts fights. Uh, they do uh, a show called uh, Grudge in Nagoya, and then they do Grudge in Tokyo, and they're both headlined with Onita versus Oyagi. Um, Nagoya is where Oyagi is from, and uh, Tokyo is where Onita is from. So um, uh, Oyagi wins the first one, and the second one is uh, won by Onita. 
So he obviously gets this gets the uh, the final fight. He wins the final fight. And it's, it's after the first fight. There's the brawl. So after the very first fight, which is in a WKA ring, World Karate Association ring, there's a big brawl. <laughs> it interests me that that's the one that people consider to be legitimate and not a work when there's a brawl afterwards. Did you, know, you not fucking watch Conor McGregor versus uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov? <laughs> well, yeah, but that was... Yeah, well, yes, fair point. But I don't know. It just seems like something that's just very rare and uncommon to happen. Like I said, you can watch footage of the brawl. There's people literally <coughs> punching each other in the face. Maybe, oh, really? They may well have just agreed to it. It's just... But there are people <coughs> punching each other in the again, face. It, again, it might be because it's like this sceptical pro-wrestling sort of eyes that I'm looking at it with. But... If I was a detective trying to decide whether this was real or fake or not, mm-hmm. and I look at the past history of the man as a wrestler who, you know, has been DQ'd for using a fucking power bomb or whatever he used, <laughs> and he's in a singlet, okay, there's two strong bits of evidence. Okay, one, you got disqualified for using a wrestling move. Two, you're in a fucking wrestling single singlet. Three, you've got history of being a pro wrestler. And then you look at this pull-apart brawl, and in my uh, t- detective skills, it'd be like, there's something fishy going on here. But if you watch the footage, the brawl is a genuine fight. When he's getting kicked, he's getting kicked for real hard. Yeah. So that... We'll take this as it was a proper brawl then. Yeah. So he has this... Orchestrated or not, they were really hitting each other. Yeah. But anyway, like I say, this could be seen to be starting off the promotion for him to start his own company, obviously. Yeah. So that's what happened. Um, and like I say, they had two matches that were definitely considered to be worked. One which he lost, one which he won. After this, he starts promoting more cards, does only under the, under the Frontier Martial Arts, Martial Arts Wrestling banner, the FMW banner. But he starts moving slightly away from these kind of martial arts style fights, which do continue for a bit, but they tend to be on the undercard. And they're starting to work towards these kind of more hardcore style matches. So they have their first street fight on uh, December 4th, 1990, in which uh, Onita and uh, Dick Murdoch, uh, who's known, I think he's, I think he's, is he a Texan? I think, but he's known, he's known in, in America, in the South, defeated uh, Josta Luke and uh, Masanobu Kurisu. From this point onwards, Onita is headlining basically every show. Okay, he's like he's a bit bit of an egomaniac. Like I said, he likes to be likes to be the center of attention, but he likes to draw attention as well. So this is why he likes to start moving into gimmick matches. So this is where it starts. Bum, bum, bum. This is where it starts. And so the first barbed wire death match in Japan took place at a card called Battle Creation, uh, where he teamed with Tarzan Goto, who's uh, uh, another legend. Uh, I first heard about Tarzan Goto on the um, King of the Death match, well, video I originally had. He's not in the tournament, but he has a cracking brawl with uh, Dan Seven, of all people, actually, for the NWA heavyweight title in uh, 95 and uh, he's a cracking cracking brawler but he, he fights here Tarzan Goto team oh sorry excuse me Onita and Tarzan Goto against Jerry Blayman and uh, Mitsuhiro I'm going to do good with the Japanese names there Mitsuhiro Matsunaga uh, the, oh sorry this is in 1989 we're not in 1990 yet sorry not to hurry you along this is our 90s episode we're, we're, we're we in the, right, okay, right. Well, we're almost this. forty minutes into recording, and we're still in nineteen eighty nine. Okay, right, yo. So, in January seventeenth, nineteen ninety, 
Onita defeated a wrestler called Beast the Barbarian to win the WWA World Brass Knuckles Heavyweight Championship. Brass Knuckles. Shout out to our 1950s episode where we t- where we were talking a lot about Bull Curry. Yes, man. Go and check that out in the archives. And um, it's from here onwards, since he wins this Brass Knuckles title, that, like I said, the uh, martial arts style matches on the undercard, these... Um, Barbed wire and more matches starts ramping up. So, um, next big event for Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling was uh, it's called Summer Spectacular. Uh, this was August 4th, 1990, in the uh, Shio Dome in Tokyo, Japan. By this point, they're, they're an independent company, but they're starting to get a little bit of a uh, little bit of traction. Attendance here 4,520, which not too bad for, uh, for an independent company, I don't think. They're not even a year old. Bear in mind this company. That's not too bad. That's not too bad. 4,520. Just remember that number. Say it again. 4,520. 4,520. 4,520. Okay. Not even a year old. They started to build up a bit of media attention with the World Karate Association stuff. But like I say, in 1990, the Summer Spectacular, it was aired on telly this. So, you know, they've got TV, getting a TV deal. Getting a TV deal. They're doing all right. And uh, this card uh, is available on YouTube. Watched a lot of it myself. You get a nice undercard. A female street fight. On the undercard, which nice. is nice. The, the Japanese, they like to give these opportunities to the women to bleed just as much as the men. Uh, Norio Toyoda uh, versus Megumi Kudo. It's a really, really good street fight. This really, really nice bit of brawling in it. Nice bit of blood. And they kick the shit out of each other, these ladies. So, like, fair fuck to them. In this card, we have the first ever. This is Atushi Onita versus Tarzan Goto. No ropes, exploding barbed wire. This, is, this isn't one of the ones that you sent me. This is not one of the ones that I said. No. This is only 1990. You, you've not you've not seen this, but this is this is 1990, and they're already blowing blowing each other up. Yeah, we'll get onto the ones where uh, well I have watched um, in a in a sec, which are the ones that are in a fucking swimming pool for some reason. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a that's enough. We'll, like I say, we'll get into it. Yeah, yeah, crazy, crazy. But the no ropes exploding barbed wire shit is mad. Yeah, I've seen that before. I've seen, even though I've not seen this specific match, I've seen that before. Yeah, and it is just absolutely—it's just like, <clears throat> how far can you go with a? Oh, we'll go further, myself. You know, you know what I mean. It's just like it's like you sat around in a room thinking, right? What's the worst thing that we can do? Mm. And then you come up, but aside from kill each other, mm-hmm. well, let's do this. Uh, uh, the kind of mentality it's up, but like. The deathmatch style out in the 90s, it's still incredibly fucking dangerous, but you didn't get the big spots as much. It was no very drama-centric. These matches were very drama-centric. It's very it's very drawn out in a way, isn't it? Well, it relied very much on pacing. Yeah. Very much like an old Ric Flair match or whatever. They relied very much on being able to work and pacing, and it was the drama centred around. They'd whip somebody to the, uh, to the wire. They'd stop themselves... There's a lot of lockups and backwards and forwards, but it's everything is centered around the danger of the wire. Yeah. And when somebody does get it, because you've had the tease so much, mm. it's like it really is drama. And what what they did, obviously, there's no so there's no ropes whatsoever. The rope's completely taken down. And there's um yeah, basically three strands of barbed wire where the three ropes would yeah. be. Sometimes they even do an X in the middle, but I don't believe they did on this one. And then there's electrical charges basically that run. <laughs> In the wire, so that when you hit the wire, it sets off an explosion. And it's you know, it's not fucking C4 or whatever, but it's kind of like um, 
a firework, like a quite a big firework explosion. Yeah. I would describe it as. And like, yeah, you get burned. Yeah. <laughs> so this was the first one. This is this is only in um this is only in nineteen ninety. Um but it's um some some crazy shit, man. It's some crazy shit. But moving swiftly on. I feel like it's the the mid nineties is where stuff in Japan really started to ramp up, you know, in terms of like craziness. And mm-hmm. when they start, they really start to think outside the box with stuff like piranha matches. Oh, don't piss on me chips, man. We'll get to it. I know we'll get to it. What do you <laughs> People know that piranha matches. Yeah, exist. everybody knows about piranha matches. While you're bringing that up, though, I would just like to mention that as well as wherever you're listening to this podcast, now you can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker and the like, as well as the Aaron Meta Network. Also, please check out 24wrestling.com. Check it out. Forgot to do that at the beginning, so you know. That's fine, mate. Get That's out of the fine. way. I'm, I'm giving these like reads and stuff of, you know, little things that you have to do a lot less gusto today. Why is that, mate? I can't be arsed with it anymore. I don't feel it gets us anywhere. Right. Yeah, but you know. Anyway. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Yeah. Um. So... We'll move on to some more gimmick type stuff. Uh, as I said in the eighties, um, he briefly lived with Terry Funk on the Double Cross Ranch. Yeah, used to help him with chores. Obviously, on a ranch, like you'll have to put up quite a lot of barbed wire fencing and shit, won't you? I assume so. Yeah. So when he's nailing up fence posts with barbed wire, that's where he gets the idea of Ah, do you know what they are also have in America? Baseball. So he had the idea of wrapping. <laughs> A baseball baseball's bat. Big, baseball's big in Japan as well. Ah. Uh, well, whatever. He had the idea to wrap a baseball bat with barbed wire, as one would, and wrestle yeah. with it. So he's the first ever guy to do that. He is the first ever guy to do that, yeah. Oh, wow. Is that sto- hardcore, stone-cold fact? No. No. <laughs> no. I've not done a full research on that, but it is it is widely regarded. Um, yeah, he's the He's the... The inventor of the barbed wire bat. He's widely regarded as being the inventor of the barbed wire bat. A Vice series called The Wrestlers, uh, they do, uh, which was just released on all four recently in the UK. And uh, he, talk, he talks to Onita on that, and um, he, he says he was the first ever person to do that. Onita says he was the first person to ever yeah. do that. We'll uh, take him on his word. I'll take him on his word, yeah. I mean, there's no recorded... You know, there's nothing... Rec- that's it, like, we're going, oh, was this really the first time? If it's the first recorded time, it's the first fucking time, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, for all intents and purposes. For all intents and purposes, that's the first time. Yeah, because... If it's the first time anyone's ever been filmed doing it... Yeah. That's what's going to last in history. So, yeah. therefore, he was the first. Yeah, otherwise, you're just that sort of crazy guy that says they were the first Emma drummer for the Beatles. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? Yeah, it's like- yeah, yeah. But, like, you didn't. So, like, <laughs> yeah. you can't prove it, so shut up. <laughs> he was the first. Yeah. Right. Moving swiftly on. Few year, we'll jump ahead a few years. Just We want to ramp up the violence just a little bit. So, they do a, a show every year just called The Anniversary Show. Simple name, but, like, it worked. So, this is uh, on May the 5th, 1993, this show. So, May the 5th, 1993. The first show, which I believe was in March 1990 that I talked about, when I talked about the very first barbed wire exploding yeah. match. Mm-hmm. What was the attendance there, mate? 4,520. It was indeed. What do you reckon the attendance three years later is? At their anniversary show, which is their biggest show? 20,000. 41,000. 41,000. 41,000. After three years? After three years. Jesus Christ. 
That is some. That is you've got some fucking. He started getting Terry Funk and people like that on board in in yeah. in, in those those couple of years. But in in less than three years, they times their attendance by ten. That's impressive. By a factor of ten. 41,000. Kawasaki Stadium was kind of their home where they do all their big shows. But yeah. I think that's pretty fucking impressive. In three years, seen as he had a very small name to the hardcore wrestling fans, but prior to 1989, nobody knew who the fuck he was, really. No. It's, that is really, really impressive that he could yeah. do that over three years. It's like, yeah, Increases the audience by ten times. That's bigger. That's bigger attendance than WrestleMania was getting at that time. Way yeah. bigger. Yeah. Way way bigger. Like in what's that? Nineteen ninety three. So in the in the, the kind of new generation stuff in WWF, they were getting fucking nothing compared to this kind of attendance. Yeah, that's this, nuts. This is some. This is some big shit. Uh, the the main event of uh, this was uh, Onita versus. Our good old friend, who's coming up in every episode since the 1960s, by the way. Oh, yeah. Terry Funk. Yay. So uh, the headline uh, match of uh, the FMW fourth anniversary show at Kawasaki Stadium, 41,000 people in attendance. Onita versus Terry Funk in a no-rope, exploding barbed wire, time bomb, death match. This is getting a little bit cartoony, don't you think? <laughs> the names get longer, mate. The names get yeah. longer. It's, they just add... The names get longer and it gets more like... It feels like it should be fucking animated with Tom and Jerry there. Uh, uh, it's it's not, though. It's incredibly violent. Yeah, it's incredibly, incredibly violent. So have you ever watched a, a time bomb death match before? Uh, well, I, the one I sent you. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I've seen that one. I'm not fully versed in in them. So what, so what you may have noticed in the one which we're going to talk about after this, so what, what happens is, for the last five minutes, I think, a siren goes off, mm-hmm. creating drama, yeah. like an air raid siren type thing, and then it counts down, and then basically the ring explodes with big explosions. Yeah. It's pretty spectacular. It is, but the thing that I couldn't figure out when I was watching it is just like, well, how do you stop that happening? You don't, you don't, you don't stop it happening. So the drama builds to that going on. But surely, if there was a way for... Well, you, you escape, I suppose, don't you? Yeah, there was a way, if there was a stipulation for you to be able to stop it, it would make it a little bit more... Fair. Yeah, fair. <laughs> I, was, I was about to say exciting, but it's exciting enough as it is. It's like, you know, it's like, holy shit, the ring will explode in, you know, five minutes' time. Mm-hmm. But the fact that that's just going to happen, you think, well, we know what the outcome's going to be. Mm-hmm. The ring's going to explode. Mm-hmm. just seems a bit crazy. Whereas if the possibility of the ring maybe not exploding is that but like if there's a possibility of the ring not exploding I'm not paying money to see that show if the, if the ring is definitely going to explode yeah. they have got my ticket money yeah I suppose good point yeah so you're selling it on the fact that you're going to see somebody blown up yeah you're going to you're going to see someone get blown up and yeah they start blowing people up man wrestling is crazy in the 90s it is it is it is Go ahead again. So we'll uh, we'll up it ever so slightly. So the Summer Spectacular 1993 at the uh, Hankyu Nish... Let's give this a go. Hankyu Nishinomiya Stadium in uh, Nishinomiya, Hyogo, Japan. Hankyu Nishinomiya. Bit racist, Scott. So it's fucking Japanese accent. It's so racist. Yeah. Didn't see there's anything wrong with it. Do it again then. Hankyu Nishinomiya. Noodle. You said noodle. That was a bit <laughs> racist, mate. You said noodle. I heard that. I did. <laughs> Scott finds racism hilarious, apparently. 
<laughs> Tickled yourself there, mate. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, God. Any, uh, any people of East Asian uh, origin? I apologise. At Scott Thompson on, on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I apologise if you were offended. No, you don't. You don't mean that, though, do you? It's not my fault you're offended. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, anyway, Summer Spectacular 1993. Attendance 36,223. Main event, uh, Onita versus Mr. Pogo, who um, you will have seen in the match I sent you. The one with the face paint, the one with the sickle. Yes. Yeah, yeah. A sickle. The, the, sickle the one with the sickle. In this match. So just tell everyone what that match is again so they can well, find it. Which, what, sorry? The match with the sickle. Um, we're getting into that shortly. I was gonna, oh, right, okay. I thought you were going to talk about it. No, no, say. no. So I'm currently talking about... Because we're, we're working up to what that match was. Okay, okay, okay. So in this match, the main event is Onita versus Mr. Pogo in a no-ropes, exploding barbed wire, time bomb cage death match for the FMW Brass Knuckles Heavyweight Championship. Say that again. That was a no-ropes, exploding barbed wire, time bomb cage death match to win the FMW Brass Knuckles Heavyweight Championship. Nice. This is a, an exploding cage. He combined the barbed wire cage against Tarzan Goto from the second anniversary show and the exploding ring time bomb stipulation against Terry Funk from the fourth anniversary show to make the first ever no ropes exploding ring barbed wire time bomb cage death match. Kind of makes you think that Vince McMahon was onto something by just causing something WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> I like the long names. I, I like it as well. It's very descriptive of what it is. You know what you're going to get. So... Um, the highest attended FMW show was the sixth anniversary show, which was Onita's retirement, one of his retirements. What was the attendance? 58,250. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so like fucking, he's a big star, man. Yeah. But he's retiring because he's fucked up his body a lot through doing these kind of matches, Yeah, obviously. But he does keep on going. Uh, that is against uh, Hayabusa in an exploding uh, cage death match. Uh, Hayabusa is in the match that we're about to talk about now, the seventh anniversary show. This is available on, on YouTube. Uh, I'll post it up, um, but it's the entire card is up there, and it's a it's a cracking card. It's thirty three thousand two hundred thirty one people at Kawasaki Stadium, and uh, I need to watch the entire card because the entire card is sick. Like a lot of the Japanese wrestlers have not heard of, but starting from five matches in, you've got uh, uh, Takamichinoku versus a guy called Koji and Nakagawa. Taka Mishinoku uh, is probably up there with one of my favourite ever wrestlers. We need to watch more Japanese shit, man. Yeah. We need to. Like, he has a cracking... So, FMW have a junior heavyweight title, <laughs> and this is for the junior heavyweight title, and it's uh, apparently it's an absolutely cracking match. Uh, there's, also a, there's also a street fight with uh, Ch- uh, Chiguza Nago... Chikusa Nageo against Shark Toshia in a street fight. There is six-man violent fucking match, Super Leather and the Headhunters versus Hisakatsu Oya, Horace Boulder, and the Gladiator. Do you know who the Gladiator was, Scott? I don't know. Mike Awesome. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, he had a big run in Japan. As the Gladiator? As the Gladiator. Is that when he was, like, stacked? Well, he's always been a fucking big lad. Yeah, but, like, when he was, you, you, like... Fucking cartoon stacked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Obviously, yeah, his power mullet. Uh, so the matches that I watched, I need to watch the rest of the card, to be honest. Cactus Jack versus Wing Kanemura in a, a Caribbean barbed wire barricade spider net glass death match. And this is for uh, Cactus's King of the Deathmatch Championship. Wow. So I'll read that again. A Caribbean barbed wire barricade spider net glass death match. Did you, did you watch any of this one? Mm, 
Yes, bits of it. Right, so basically, there's it's it's uh, no rope barbed wire, and either side of the ring, basically, like kind of like big massive pallets with uh, in the middle of the pallets uh, three panes of glass. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, you you throw people through the glass, fuck them up until they can't fight back, and then pin them for a three count. Sounds fair. But uh, cactus retains cracking match. Did you watch the ladies match? Magumi Kudo versus Combat Toyota. The no ropes exploding. Barbed wire death match for the FMW Independence World Women's Championships. I did, yes. What did you think to that match? I thought it was pretty good. I thought the spectacle of it sort of took away from like the actual wrestling, if that makes sense. It was a good wrestling match. It was a good wrestling match, but I think, you know, because the whole spectacle of the stipulations, mm. I think sometimes detracts from just seeing good wrestling, not to sound too... But that's what it sold on, though. Yeah, yeah, I know that. It's but sold on the stip, isn't it? Yeah, I know that's my point. So because it's all sold on the stipulation, I felt like I cared less about the competitors, the women who were really? wrestling. Yeah. Oh, because this this was Combat Toyota's um, retirement match. Yeah. She actually was. Reti- she actually retired after this. Yeah. So it's. I think it's the stipulation. You reckon that detracts? I from... think. I think in some case, I think when you got when you've got something like this where there's so many stipulations, mm-hmm. you're like, well, well they're, they're not stipulations as such. They don't change how the match is is fought. They change how the ma- the match is. Presented. They do, but it's not like you've only got a certain way to win. You still win by three count. It's just, it, I just f- feel like it kind of, for me anyway, when I was watching, it kind of like diluted the wrestling, the stipulation, if that makes sense. Hey, well, it did, but you didn't, we, we've not gone to an FMW show to watch straight up wrestling. Yeah, it's, you? obviously, you've got to, you've got to, it's not what you've gone for. You've got to understand it's not why you bought a ticket. Yeah, and you've got to understand also the perspective we're watching this from, which is years later. We're not just into this stuff. Some people yeah. are just into this stuff. Yeah. They love it. But And you'd, you're watching this years later on a computer screen when all of this stuff has already happened. You know what I mean? It's not like mm-hmm. that storyline or whatever's relevant today. No, no, this is true. This is true. But that was a cracky match. And the headline fight was a one million yen, no ropes, exploding barbed wire, double hell, exploding death match. Do you know what a double hell match is, Scott? No. So that is where, did you know? Double, 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 double hell. So there was like layers. There was like the ring, then... Outside the ring. Outside the ring, then outside the outside the ring, which was the water. No, almost, oh. almost, almost. No, you're thinking of the um, swimming pool match. That's a different match. Yeah, not to say that all Japanese wrestling matches look alike, but I'm starting to get confused. <laughs> right, okay. So a double hell matches. Have you, so they'll have, they'll have barbed wire where the ropes are on two sides. So the hard camera side and the opposite side to that. Yeah. yeah. The other side, there were no ropes whatsoever. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about now. So and on the outside of those ropes, there are barbed wire boards. Yep. Uh, gla- uh, was the glass in this one? No, no, but no, no glass. Barbed wire boards with explosives on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea is you're fighting in the ring with no ropes on two sides, and you're trying to get your opponent to the sides with no ropes on so you can throw them onto the bombs. Yeah, yeah, so that's, that's a, that's a du- That's a double hell match. Mm. Barbed wire on two sides, the other two sides, no ropes whatsoever, and something dangerous below that. And the idea is you're trying to chuck them into the dangerous thing. Crazy. Absolutely fucking crazy. Yeah, so that was, yeah, Mr. Pogo uh, and Terry Funk against uh, Hayabusa and Masato Tanaka. Um, so like, Hayabusa is, after Onita's retirement, is the guy who's take, taken the mantle, basically. He's a really, really good, proper, strong style and high-flying wrestler, Hayabusa. Uh, you notice he did like a lot of the spinning martial arts kicks and shit like that. Mr. Pogo could not fucking wrestle a lick, but he had a sickle. That fucking sickle, man. And he, yeah, he just he literally just he just straight up stabs people. Yeah, not a nice man, Mr. Pogo. Uh, like he's he's well regarded in the Japanese deathmatch community as being one of the ones who can't necessarily really work. 
or wrestle, but was really a big draw. He was the, one of the highest paid performers in in FMW because he was like he was such a draw. He made he was one of the people who made one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year. Apparently. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah, $120,000 a year. Just from fucking stabbing people with a sickle. Yeah, yeah, and he's, uh, he loved setting people on fire as well. He was, um, he had, uh, obviously, lighter in his in his combats and uh, used to carry, you know, like a little bottle of, you know, petrol or whatever, and he loved to do the, the, the fire breathing. What I'm interested about him is, could he take as much as he gave? He got a good kick in, yeah, he just couldn't wrestle. Couldn't really do any moves. Couldn't, couldn't yeah. really wrestle for shit. But couldn't, like, put, he, couldn't put him in a uh, submission match then. No, no, unless you're he had his see knife. Any chain wrestling with him. With an actual chain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, it worked out for him. Obviously, we, we you know we saw several explosions in this match on the boards. You know, people got pretty badly burned up. And um, now those explosions. Go on. They look spectacular. They do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, big and bangs, big plumes of smoke. We're led to believe that they're life-threatening. Obviously, the obviously. in your opinion, how close to life-threatening do you think they are? I don't think they're life-threatening. I no. think they'll burn you pretty bad. Yeah, they're not because like some of the ones like well, they, can, they can probably deafen you or blind you. Yeah, when the guy gets launched into the rope, it looks brutal. But then yeah. when you really they're like fireworks, basically. Yeah, but when you really dissect it, you're like, well, it looks brutal, but. Actually, all I really saw was a flash and some smoke. But like I said, the fireworks—they're not. It's not. They're not using Semtex. No. You know what I mean? They're not using yeah. Gelignite. No. They're not using. Well, it'll have gunpowder in it, but the fireworks—they're made to bang and flash and have flames and look smoke. Big. Yeah. And look big, and I'm sure they do burn. Like, I remember reading in in Mick Foley's first book, which I know you've read. Yeah, when he was talking about uh, King of the Death match with it, with it, him and him and Funk, they call them C four. It's not fucking C four. Of course, it's not C four. If it was C four, <laughs> be they'd be dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it'd blow a hole in your side. But they are explosives. Yeah, obviously, it's an explosion, so it creates heat. And what I'd be more worried about is, well, like when the ring explodes, like so. Basically, it's a shitload of fireworks. It's the smoke I'd be worried about. Smoke inhalation. Yeah. There's so much smoke when those rings explode. I think, I suppose, in a way, not to get too deep, but those the explosions in this, these Japanese death matches are like a metaphor for wrestling in a way because they look big and they look fancy and they look, look dangerous. And whilst not... I be- won't fucking do it. Yeah, exactly. Whilst not being, whilst not being, I would not get away, go anywhere near that shit. That's that's where the metaphor comes in. Whilst not being uh, life threatening, the average person isn't going to be able to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. It does. It does. And I think because they do look like fireworks, I think it's kind of relatable. You in a good death match, I think you have to make the pain. You have to make the pain relatable. Yeah. Again, to go back to the metaphor for wrestling in general, as much as you can sit here and go like, "Well, they're not real. That's not real C four. You fucking stand. <laughs> you fucking stand in front of it, then." No, yeah. you know what I mean. Like it's where people. It's the same thing. I was like, well, "But we're not. We're not actually wanting people to die. We want to be entertained." Yeah, yeah, very of different. Yeah, definitely. We want the drama and the threat of 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 danger, but we don't want people to genuinely get really injured. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. We just want people to bleed a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a lot. Or a lot. Or a lot. As long as nobody gets maimed. Yeah. Did you like that match? I did like that match, yeah. Did you like I it? I thought what? it was good. <clears throat> why, did, why, why did you like it? I like the building towards the tension. 
Yeah. I like the the building towards the tension. The tension of the building towards the outcomes. Yeah. That's what I really liked. I like that slow burn with this like anticipation. The siren that cuts through everything is mm. like gives this 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 like really eerie sort it's of It's like an air, it's literally like an air raid siren. It's, it's like, like a, the Luftwaffe are about to fucking descend. Yeah, it's like an air raid siren. It's like gives this really like eerie sort of end of the worldy vibe to it. The fact that the audience is more or less entirely blacked out by the way that the ring because is it's lit. A, it's, yeah, it's an out because it's in Kawasaki Stadium. I think it's a baseball stadium. It's out, yeah. obviously it's outside and it's headline match, so it's at night now. Yeah, and just the way that the whole thing—it's just got this very apocalyptic, eerie, almost filmic vibe to it. I do really actually like the way it's filmed. I think it, do, it looks incredibly dramatic, like you say, quite apocalyptic, like Mad, like Mad Max. It's like Mad Max, isn't it? Yeah, you got the crazy man with face paint on stabbing somebody up. You got the man with the chain. You've got the Tanaka who and Hayabusa who are like young and fit and strong, and and then you've got the psychos, crazy shit, man. Guy with a sickle. Guy with a sickle. But um, Funk and uh, Tanaka actually win. Mister Pogo sets Tanaka on fire with a fireball, and Funk power bombs Hayabusa for the win. So they get a million yen. Apparently, how much is a million yen in dollars or pounds? Ooh, don't know. Let's say it's well. Let's say it's, it's got to be equivalent. A Japanese, Jap, Japan's a big economy, isn't it? Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be a million yen's got to be equivalent to like a million dollars. I'd say no, no, no chance. No, no. I'm going to find this out Go while, while you whilst you move on. I will find out. How all right. Much. So, so, so what? It's, it's a strong economy. It's got to be up there. Yeah. You you move on. All right. I'm going to find all right. This out. You look it up. You look it up. Well. Uh, all I'm going to do now is I found a nice list online of uh, match stipulations. I'm just going to read out lists of match stipulations, basically. Tell me what you think of these. And if you have, you know, any any queries, uh, just jump in. So we have barbed wire matches as a, as a whole. No rope barbed wire matches. No rope explosive barbed wire matches. Barbed wire cage matches. Barbed wire baseball bat matches. Barbed wire bumps matches. Now, in that, uh, basically, there's huge boards laden with truckloads of barbed wire uh, inside the ring. A pretty normal match takes place, but when either wrestler is thrown out of the ring, it gets a bit more brutal. And the idea is you've got a bump on the uh, on the uh, barbed wire, obviously. Uh, you've got a barbed wire spider net match. A barbed wire spider net match is when the ring ropes have been replaced by barbed wire wrapped vertically around them. So it's like not not quite as bad as a no rope barbed wire matches, but the barbed wire is in between the the, the normal ropes basically. Uh, there's a barbed wire brick match. The barbed wire brick. A barbed wire brick match uh, it happened in IWA Japan. There's only been one, and it was Terry Funk versus Cactus Jack. Barbed wire ladder matches, double hell matches, barbed wire chain matches, glass matches, spiked nail death matches. So a, like a bed of nails. Um, you look like you've got a figure for me there, mate. So in today's money, it is r- roughly well, just over seven thousand pounds, or just over seven, or, or just over nine thousand dollars. In nineteen ninety-three, did you say it was? This was in ninety-five. Ninety-five. Oh fuck, that fucks everything up. We'll say it's about ten grand. Oh right, that's not that much money. Oh well, fucking hell! To get blown up for? <laughs> Can you give me ten grand then? Not that. Would much you money. get blown up for ten grand? Am I, is it real blown up or is it fake C4 blown up? <laughs> um, fake C4 blown up. Yeah, I'll do it for 10 grand. All right. yeah. Probably wouldn't get stabbed with a sickle though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, back to my list. We watched some of this one. The swimming pool match. 
Yes. Fucking hell, I keep bringing this up. So I kept getting confused because the guy with the sickle is in this as well. Mr. Pogo. Mr. Pogo is in this as well. And these matches, because they're all sort of... That dramatic lighting I was talking about that I really, really liked, where the rings lit and everything's dark around. Yeah. That's very much because of where these matches take place, how they all look, those matches. Yeah. And, yeah well, most look. of them are at Kawasaki Stadium, yeah. the big ones, which yeah. is a baseball stadium. So all the matches have the similar sort of vibe and similar sort of feel. So in my head, not being... Not of, not of being someone who chronologically follows Japanese wrestling, mm-hmm. it was hard for me to pick apart the matches that I've seen in mm-hmm. my head, but this is one that I remember that stood out. You've never seen wrestling like this in this setting before. I doubt you will again. And then No, there's only ever been the one this one. And then when you think about it, you think, why the fuck did they do it anyway? <laughs> because they could. <laughs> yeah. It's like So it took place in the middle of a swimming pool. Yeah. So there was a floating wrestling ring in the middle of a swimming pool. I'm assuming it was pegged down. Whatever, it was in the middle of a swimming pool, mate, in yeah. the middle of the water. Yeah. They had to get to the ring by boat. Yeah. And then around the ring, they had uh, exploding boards, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. So they had the ring, exploding boards. Floating then... like islands. Yeah, floating like islands, then water. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that had electrified barbed wire on it as well. Yeah. And it was a double hell, so only had the barbed wire on the two sides. The other two sides were open, so you could chuck people off into the explosions. Did you like that match? I did like it. I, I, I struggled to see what the pool element brought to it. Apart from the fact it looked mental. Apart from the fact it looks a bit weird, yeah. Yeah. Because when you think about, if you were watching that live... Yeah, you had to go to a swimming pool to watch it. <laughs> not only that, is the ring must have been fucking miles away from you. Because it's not like, you know, just a little moat, mm. is it? It's huge. Well, it's not been that far away. Have you ever been to... Well, no, you've not. I know you've not. But if you've been to a, a, a an arena wrestling show... Oh, here we go. Fucking you're up. always far away. Mr. I've been to fucking WrestleMania twice. But if you are, but if you go to watch anything at an arena, you, of course you're far away. If you go to watch football at an arena, the players are far away. Yeah, but this is like... Even further, because even ringside, when there's a fucking swimmer pool, swimming pool between you and the ring, mm. is even further. Mm. You work at swimming pools. You're not that far away. You know how big swimming pools are. You're not that well, far yeah, away. They, they differ in sizes. They do. I still say you're fucking far away. Anyway. Anyway, it was fucking crazy to watch. It's, yeah, it's a bit mad. I like Mr. It. Sickle's there, Mr. Pogo. Yeah. With his sickle, and he's just stabbing someone in the chest with it. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it's like, it is a slow build, so it's not like one big stab. This guy gets he's stabbed. He's like wrenching it in him. He's it. like wrenching it in him. And there's a skeptical side of me that thinks that some of that might have been like. <clears throat> I don't want to use the words fake blood, because I know that's incorrect. Mm-hmm. But I can't see how you can safely stab somebody, stab someone in the abdomen. Yeah, and then, yeah, he was he was on the then, chest. It was the abdomen, I think. Yeah, wasn't it? and then repeatedly like sort of twist it in and have the guy bleed as much as he appeared to be bleeding without someone say, "Hang on." Well, no, because you could. You just wouldn't stab him deep. So I've got a bit of fat on my stomach. So mm. you basically you just stick it in the meat, wouldn't you? Yeah, but your stomach's not like your like your forehead. Like, say for example, you know when you cut your forehead up. When I cut my forehead up, in general, you know, someone cuts their forehead in wrestling. Like, in wrestling, in life, right? You, you have you ever split your forehead open? I have actually. Yeah. Yeah, 
even a small cut because the skin's so tight and it's so thin around there, mm-hmm. and you've got lots of blood vessels around there, even a small cut bleeds like holy hell. Right, yeah. Yeah, like that's you, why wrestlers bleed the forehead. You, yeah, yeah, you you can cut your eyebrow brow open a tiny bit and it will piss blood for ages because of how thin all the skin around there is. Mm-hmm. In your stomach, even if you're the skinniest guy in the world, the vessels and stuff near the top don't bleed that much when you cut them. This is true. Whereas this guy was like pissing with blood from his stomach. Was he wearing? He was wearing a t-shirt, wasn't he? He was wearing a t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. So like the sickle goes through the t-shirt and it's under the t-shirt. You assume that he's been cut. You don't actually see the wound. You just see blood. And that's what sort of got me a bit skeptical because I was like, how the fuck do you bleed that much and not mm. have from your stomach and not have someone go, mm-hmm. let's stop this? You're probably in a lot of t- yeah. Because like, still, it's still. Like, you believed it for a minute, though, didn't you? Yeah, and there's still part of me that believes it now. Yeah. Um, just because of how crazy all this is. But... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's uh, it's quite a spectacle to, to behold. Um, but anyway, I'll move on. There's, there's, there's many more to the list here, mate. Thumbtack matches, obviously. That was a uh, thumbtack match was first done in IWA Japan, I think. That was King of the Death match, actually. I've seen that one. Cactus Jack against uh, Shoji Nakamaki. Thumbtack balloons. What do you think that might be? Those are two things that don't go together. Yeah. Big Japan Pro Wrestling staged a thumbtacks in a balloon match on the 22nd of the 5th, 1996. The match which saw Axel Rotten and uh, Shoji Nakamaki lock up with uh, Kendo Nagasaki, not the one you know from British wrestling, the one that's actually Japanese, and uh, Seiji Yamakawa had, had six black balloons suspended above the ring. At a certain point in the match, the balloons exploded and released 30,000 thumbtacks into the ring. Wow. Sounds like it's raining thumbtacks. Yeah. You've got to wonder, haven't you? What have you got to wonder? Who thinks of all these crazy stipulations? Mental people. Yeah. Terry Funk. A lot Ter- of time. Yeah, Terry Funk. <laughs> like, right, just sitting around. Right, how can we incorporate this? Well, that would hurt. Oh, so here you go. I talked about this earlier, actually. Uh, fire matches... So one of the first fire matches was held in 1992, which was in FMW, and it saw Tarzan, Goto, and Onita clash with Sabu and the Sheik, his uncle, who was 68 years old at the time. So huge petrol-soaked rags were wrapped around the barbed wire and then set on fire. Uh, Onita was then forced to abandon the idea when, due to heat and smoke inhalation, the Sheik actually slipped into a coma. What? A coma? Well, it says a couple of months later, but uh, apparently due to smoking, inhalation, and heat-related injuries, he slipped into a coma. Jesus wept. I mean, there's putting your fucking body on the line, and then there's doing shit that's going to put you in a coma. That's crazy. So how how close are we to rounding into ECW? Oh, I'm just going to finish off the list, mate. Okay. I'm just finish off the list. This has been a deep, deep dive into some matches in it's good, Japan. Yeah. We talked about the Piranha match, didn't we? Have you, have you seen that? I've seen it. So basically, there's, there's a, a tank of piranhas in the middle of the ring, and the idea is that you've got to dunk somebody in to the piranhas. And they actually they cut people up, and they like bleed into the piranha tank to get them yeah. all, all Again, that's a, that's a gimmick that I feel is very much the idea of the gimmick over the actual danger. Yeah. Because I think you fucking fall into a tank of piranhas that have been caught. <laughs> they might have a nibble. Yeah. But they're not like, and especially in the 90s, piranhas were like cartoon, like fear almost, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Like a piranha will fucking eat all your bones. 
not necessarily true. I'll eat you to the bones. Mm. Whereas I don't think that's actually true. Piranhas, I don't think, well, although they are flesh-eating, yeah. aren't going to be able to make a real good go of a human. But there was a genuine tank of piranhas in the middle of a wrestling ring. Yeah, I know. It's fucking it's insane. It's absolute batshit. Yeah. We'll skip over a couple more, but um, there was one where Mitsuharu Matsunaga and Shadow WX, uh, the loser, actually had to wrestle a crocodile. Wow. There you go. We'll, we'll, we'll skip. This is like bordering on like... You're making this shit up. <laughs> I swear I'm not. <laughs> not, <laughs> not that you're making it up. It's like bordering on like a circus. Yeah. Sort of like carnival... I know obviously wrestling started in the carnivals yeah. before people start going nuts about that. But like, it's almost bordering on like just being so preposterous. Yeah. Like, what else can we do? Yeah. It's, border it's bordering on the absolutely just, I don't know, unimaginable. Well, like, that's the idea. Yeah. But somebody has generally thought of it. And for how based in actual physical wrestling, like the likes of Japanese strong style is. Mm -hmm. It's funny to see this side of Japanese wrestling. Japanese wrestling that is seems to be so far removed from that, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Where it's just literally a case of how how much can we hurt each other? Yeah. And if you've ever seen Japanese game shows, which I often do a uh, rabbit hole dive on YouTube of watching Japanese game shows, right? They are very much of the same vein, where it's just like, well, you know, how how more ridiculous can you be? There are those two kind of sides to Japanese culture, aren't yeah. there? There's the very straight-laced, conservative, honour and respect, shake hands kind of yeah. part of their culture, you know, coming from back to the days of samurai. And then you've also got the crazy outlandish side, which yeah. they also, you know... Used underwear vending machines... Uh, and, you know, fucking, fucking frogs alive. Yeah, fucking <laughs> what's it called? Fucking tentacle porn and yeah, all that sort of crazy. Yeah, shit hentai and all that. But also at the same time, they've got a very much grounding in honor and respect and tradition. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah, and, uh, I'd, I'd love to go to Japan. To Japan Japan one. would be one of my favorite countries in the world to go to. It is also like say Tokyo, for example, is also one of the most expensive cities in the world. Yeah. Um. So you know, it's. Got ups and its downs. But I remember watching a Japanese game show, which was very much in the vein of this sort of wrestling that we're talking about, where it's a weird thing. You don't really know what's going on because it's obviously in Japanese and nothing's subtitled. But there's like a load of guys. They've all got these fans in their hand, like, you know, hand fans mm -hmm. that are made of plastic. Yep. They jump around singing a song, a guy in the middle. And then, and the very last beats of the song, they hit the guy on the head with these fans really, really hard. And then when they draw blood, they all sort of, the camera zooms in and they all sort of laugh and go like, oh, and then it starts again and they dance around and then they hit this guy on the head with the fans to the beat of the music. And when they draw blood, they look at the blood on the fan and sort of like laugh and cheer and then start again. It's fucking crazy. That's a game show. Yeah, it's a game show. I promise you. After we finish recording this, I will show you it. Okay. And I'm then intrigued. once we posted the link to this episode, we'll post a link to this game show that okay. I'm talking about. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, it's fucking mad. What else have they got? We've got the game where a guy's got to try and not get an erection 
I've what? seen that one. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty mad. Another another game where they have got like a bo- bug in a pipe, and two women have got their mouth on each end of the pipe, and they've got to blow the the bug into the other person's mouth. Yeah, fucking crazy, but amazing. Yeah, like I I kind of love it. Like, well, I mean, we only really be talking about the really hardcore stuff. Like there is stuff that FMW and other promotions did, which were kind of. Hardcore, but not deathmatch. So, um, like they did the convenience store hardcore match, um, which is kind of where the uh, you know the Booker T Steve Austin one probably got its original idea from. That's hilarious. Uh, they do there's a bathhouse deathmatch where they go to like a you know, like a bathhouse and sauna, like when yeah. there's people in there and like fight and throw people into like the the the, uh, the hot pool and stuff like that. Whilst there's legitimate punters in there just trying to relax. Yeah. Um, Come for a la- relaxing afternoon at the sauna, and a load of Japanese wrestlers came and started beating the shit out. It's of It's great. Other it's great. I love it. I love it. Like in DDT, they do all kind of shit in DDT. Dramatic dreams. A lot of comedy wrestling as well in DDT, isn't oh, it? Oh yeah. Like um, I've seen the the footage. It's um, when they do um, a camp death match. So it's at like in a forest, like where you would go Cub Scout camping, mm. and it's fucking it's fucking Kenny Omega and bloody Kota Ibushi. So, like, two of the biggest wrestlers in the world at the moment. Yeah. It's about 10 years ago. Wrestling each other at a campsite. And they they fight, they fire uh, bottle rockets at each, at each other and that. It's hilarious. But, uh, yeah, Japan. It's nice. One, it's one mad place. Okay, so, Japanese wrestling. All right, we'll put a lid on Japan for now. We'll put a lid on Japan for now. This has been a very, very long episode so far. We've gone for one hour and 22 minutes Don't recording time. Don't worry about that. Um, told you it was going to be long. I love Japanese wrestling. I love hardcore wrestling. Uh, it's a bit crazy at times. At times you don't really know what you're watching. <laughs> but Have you ever sat down I and watched it. an entire card? Of d- d- hardcore wrestling in Japan? Yeah. No. No. So I've you couldn't watch an entire card, you don't think? Nah, I think I, I, I think after a while, that sort of thing... In a way, it's why hardcore wrestling sort of went off the deep end so much. It's like the likes of CCW, which you get to in the 2000s. It's like, once you've done so much stuff, where do you go? Mm-hmm. And the answer is... Well, yes. Too, too far. Too, yeah. And the answer is you end up going too far. And I think if you watch like a full card of this, uh, which I've been close to watching before... After a while, you do become so desensitized to stuff. You're just like, oh yeah, another another explosion. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> I'm up, up, another yeah. another sickle to the stomach. Fuck's sake. Yeah. Boring. Yeah. <laughs> Boring. You know what I mean? And after a while, it's like you become so desensitized to it that nothing impresses you, which is a very very dangerous place to be. Mm. You're like just as a as a fan of that sort of stuff, because you think like, well, what more can I watch? You know? Yeah. It- I'm saying this and then realizing that I've been watching loads of BKFC and yeah. thinking like maybe I am getting a bit too into the violence. <laughs> BKFC, <laughs> yeah, exactly. by the way, is bare knuckle fighting championships. Um, I've been watching a lot of bare knuckle boxing recently. But you'll be watching fucking cockfights next. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. So Japanese wrestling. We'll put a lid on that and we'll move on to uh, the the US of A. Excellent. Okay, guys, that's actually where we're going to cut this because Nick and I went on for another hour and a half talking about ECW in the 1990s. So this would have been an obnoxiously, obnoxious, obnoxiously, obnoxiously long podcast if we'd put it all in one. So we're going to split it up a little bit. 
Uh, thanks very much for listening. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, on iTunes, on Google Podcasts. If you can leave us a positive review wherever you can, that always helps. Also, be sure to check out 24wrestling.com for all your wrestling news updates. And always check out the Aaron Meta Network and the Aaron Meta Show. Thanks very much, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Thank you.